I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. What's really unique about social media, and you touched on this, but it's such a cool platform to educate and encourage people to adopt. And right now, there's hundreds and thousands of different rescue groups out there that um, don't have the big names that are doing really incredible work for the animal community. And so to be able to use all of our platforms combined to promote different rescue groups and even individuals who are doing this. That was a clip from the To the Rescue panel from PetCon NYC 2018, which took place at the Javits Center on November 17th and 18th. For those who don't know, PetCon is a pet lover's stream filled with celebrity pet meet and greets, insightful panels, branded activations, and so much more. Visit PetCon.co, that's P-E-T-C-O-N.co, to learn more and sign up for our newsletter to find out when the next PetCon will take place. The To the Rescue panel features Animal Planet's Amanda Guise, Courtney Dasher, Human to Tuna Melts My Heart, Lauren Paris, Human to Bruno Bartlett, and Hilary Sloan, Human to Elbian. Now let's get back to the panel. Thank you everyone for coming to our panel on rescue. It means so much to all of us. Um, Everyone on this panel is super passionate about rescue and so excited to be here, and we can't wait to answer your questions in addition to telling our stories. Uh, My name is Hilary Sloan. I am the human behind the account Ella Bean the Dog. This next to me is Ella Bean. She's a puppy mill rescue, and uh, rescuing her changed my life and sort of instilled a passion for rescue that uh, has altered my life in in a myriad of ways. Um, I was hoping we could go around the panel and everyone could introduce themselves. Never done that before. (laughs) Would you like me to start? I would love for you to start. I'd be happy to. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lauren Paris. Uh, My cat right here is Bruno Bartlett, the Bruno Bartlett on Instagram. Uh, We adopted him. It's been almost three months. Uh, He came from Right Way Rescue, which is right outside Chicago where we live in an area called Morton Grove. Uh, He'd been at Right Way for four months until um, they posted two photos of him on Facebook. He was standing up, which he does very often throughout the day, on his back legs. At the time, he was 25 pounds, he's polydactyl, he's extra in every way. Um, when I saw him, if you, he knows, he's like, yeah, you talking about me. Um, when I saw him, if you've ever seen the movie Twilight, I like to say I imprinted on Bruno. It's the only way I know how to describe it. Um, it's a perfect example, though, of... If his photos hadn't been posted, if I hadn't seen that, he could have sat at the shelter for far longer because adult animals, their personalities are really difficult to be able to shine through at a shelter where they're surrounded by kittens and puppies. Um, So it's really instilled a passion for rescue within me. We try to use the platform of Instagram in every way we can to highlight other rescuable animals. And it's been incredibly gratifying when a follower reaches out and says, hey, that cat that you posted yesterday, we went and got it. The first time that happened, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, So we're happy to be here and learn a lot more about people who have been doing it for a lot longer than we have. (laughs) My name is Amanda Geise. You likely will recognize me from Amanda to the Rescue if you watch Animal Planet on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. That is our television show that showcases what we do at my rescue, which is Panda Paws Rescue. I have been rescuing for my entire life, which we can probably get into a little bit later, but 
Panda Paws Rescue has been running for a little over 10 years, and what we do is take in the major medical special needs and hospice animals. We try not to focus on the more typical, easier to adopt cases because they have more opportunities than the special needs animals. And I'm just gonna tell you real quick about this little guy in my lap. This is one of my dogs, Groot. He is an English toy spaniel, but he is also a unicorn. He is the second dog I have ever known, or any veterinarian in across the globe has ever known to be diagnosed with what's called Ehlers-Danlos. Or, no, not Ehlers-Danlos, Dandy Walker syndrome. And basically what that means is the majority of his cerebellum, which is f responsible for his mobility and motor skills, is filled with fluid rather than brain tissue. So he also has hydrocephalus and Ehlers-Danlos. He does have that. Um, but he starts over every single day. He doesn't have cognitive memory. He doesn't um, you know, have the ability to be trained like a normal dog. So he is brand new every single time he wakes up. And Courtney, can you tell us about Hello. Tuna and yourself? Oh, so I'm Courtney Dasher like the reindeer, but my married name is Patterson. This is Tuna. Um, unlike Amanda, I knew nothing about the rescue world um, prior to adopting Tuna. He was a four-month-old puppy when I got him um, at a farmer's market in Los Angeles. And if you don't know, Tuna's known for his overbite. And that signature smile was not present when I first fostered him. That's what I did at first. Um, he just had the overbite and flappy gums, and his head was down, and he was wearing an oversized sweatshirt, which is why he probably loves wearing clothes today. And he was shivering, and he looked really unloved. And um, so I took him home with the intention to foster him, but. How many people in here are foster failures? Loud and proud. Go on. That's the Shout best. That's the best yes. failure, though. Yeah. That's the best it's failure. The best. Um, and so Tuna ended up living with me from uh, the time I brought him home. I actually sent him back for a couple of days because I had to go up north, not thinking I was going to adopt him. And then, um, as as um, I say God's plan for me to have him, and so it's been really awesome. Sorry, he's, <laughs> he's the best. Tuna and I are old, Tuna and I are old pals. Um, so everyone on this panel is super, super passionate about rescue, and we all arrived here in different ways. Um, I know that you're saying that you've been rescuing since you're a kid. You were saying you had rescues before. This is your first, your first rescue. Ella was my first rescue. How did, for those of us who are newer, newer to it, I guess, and for those older, um, what about it changed you and changed your life? And for those who've been doing it for your whole lives, why do you continue to do it? Well, I would say that I continue to do it because this is my lifelong passion. This is what I was meant to do. I was born and raised, like it's in my DNA to be a humanitarian and to give back. And ever since I was little, I've been passionate about the differently abled. I don't call them disabled. I call them differently abled, handicapable, that sort of thing. But I've been passionate about it since I was a child because my best friends growing up had Downs, Up syndrome, and different types of ailments. And so it's always been just who I am. And obviously it's what I do for my whole world is run Panda Paws Rescue and now we get to showcase that uh, for the world. But that's, that's why I stay in it is because it matters. Every single life matters. And I know that I can't take the volume that some of our incredible rescue partners can, but we specialize in a certain niche of rescue that is really needed and that's a medical aspect of it. So I continue doing it because every single time you see that dog or that animal get there happily ever after and that person sends you an update, or I call them pup dates, sends you a, pu a pup date 
about how happy they are, how it's changed their world, or it's their only best friend or their only companion sometimes, that is why I continue to do it. Similar to Amanda, what's interesting is I've always had a heart for the underdog in human form, and I've loved animals since I was little, but um, in my household, we like got animals from backyard breeders, so my mom always loved the idea of a cockapoo, and so there would be someone like two hours from where we lived that um, would breed at their house. And so my mom would adopt the dog. We had a couple. And um, I knew nothing about rescue or adoption at all until I was almost 30 years old, which is really crazy to, to think that that just wasn't in my like span of understanding. And so why it's been really um, important for me is because when I got Tuna, um, like I said, he was this really unloved dog, and I call him the um, underdog with an overbite, because he really is an underdog in a lot of ways. His backstory, he was um, found on the side of the road, abandoned in San Diego, and then um, a shelter, transported him to a shelter in LA from San Diego, and then a private rescuer um, showed him for adoption at the farmer's market. And it's just incredible how Tuna has changed my life, not just from an Instagram perspective, because that definitely happened as well, but just um, just he's, like you said, like my best friend, and um, I try really to advocate for people to, to get dogs that um, aren't, like that have these unconventional features and um, abilities, you know, abilities. Um, yeah, so it's really important. I'm surprisingly verklempt about this. Each of those was very touching. Um, my mom uh, is a real humanitarian and animal lover, and I suppose you could say I was very ignorant in a way growing up because I didn't know that you could go to a puppy store or a kitty store. I thought that rescuing was the only thing you could do um, because that's how we got my cats growing up who were a real part of our family. My cat Callie lived till she was 22 years old. She was my best friend um, and I was an only child so it's kind of a special freak in that way with her. Um, and uh, now that I know obviously and have known for many years in my adulthood that there are other options and venues as to how you can get a pet, um, Still rescue feels like the only, the only option in my mind, and I do struggle to think that there is even another way. It's just the way. It's the way you get your pets, and I just feel really passionately about that. Amanda, People Magazine revert, referred to you as a pet superhero, <laughs> which is super cool. Um, can you tell us about the most challenging case you ever encountered? Well, I don't wear a cape, so that's very kind of them. Um, <clears throat> I would have to start, not that, it's really hard for me to narrow it down to one because I've rescued over 4,000 animals in, in 10 years. Um, so that said, it's very hard to narrow it. But I will say that I will go back to London, the two-legged pit bull. I'm not sure if anyone out here knows who London, the two-legged pit bull is, but they do. <laughs> um, but he was our very first double leg amputation that we ever had. And eight years ago, doing a double leg amputation on an animal in the animal world was very much so frowned upon. It was something that we took a gamble on this dog. He had been severely abused. We fought for over a year and got multiple felony convictions on everybody who injured this animal. Um, so that eight years ago, again, was a huge you know, win for us. But I had to make a decision on this dog. He's a giant, beautiful pit bull, and I had to decide, 
do I double amputate the front legs that we can't save or do I euthanize him? And I, I took into account his mentality, I took into account his age, he was just a puppy, and I was like, you know what, we're gonna give this dog a chance. It'd never been done, I was terrified, but, and I got a lot of hate mail for it, but we really pioneered the way for other rescues who now we're seeing doing double leg amputations like Marley's Mutz who just did Cora Rose, her double leg amputation. They're gonna do another one here shortly. So back then it wasn't done. I was scared to death. I got a lot of flack for it. I got a, a nickname called The Butcher. It was horrible. People are really mean. Um, but that dog, London, is living the dream, happy as ever. He herds horses all the time. He has a wheelchair. Ducati made him a special wheelchair. And I think that takes me back to like one of the most powerful ones that was like, you know what, Amanda? You did it. Do it again. You know? And can you, can you talk for people who don't know, um, why, why do you amputate in, in veterinary medicine? Like, well, yeah. Can you yeah. talk about how dogs are just fine? They don't notice. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when we, you know, a lot of times in the human world, when we have something that's different or unique, we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves and we judge ourselves and we feel down about it. But animals don't really care. They don't look at it and be like, oh man, I don't have this anymore. That sucks. Like they just keep trucking on. They're stoic creatures and they just adapt. But in the veterinary world, there's different reasons why we do amputation. Sometimes it's because we cannot correct those limbs. Sometimes those limbs are malformed. Sometimes we have animals that are paralytic and actually to fit them in a wheelchair or to give them a life where they won't have constant sores or re refracture a pelvis or things like that, we do double leg amputations on the back and then they fit nicely in their wheelchairs. Um, but it's really an individual animal situation. We have to make sure mentally it's the right decision for that animal. But there's a, there's a plethora of reasons. Thank you. Um, Lauren, Bruno's relatively new to your family and I love that you said you didn't know that there was any other place to get a pet aside from a shelter. Um, <laughs> Side note, my parents are super into show dogs, so I didn't know that there was anything other than really, really nice breeders who really, really loved their dogs. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, I was wondering if you could share, when you walk into a shelter, how do you know when a pet is yours? Sure. Um, well, to be honest, you know, my situation was different because first I saw photos of Bruno, and I want to be very transparent and say, when I met Bruno, I still felt so passionately, but like I said before, his personality was not able to fully come out as a seven-year-old pet who'd been in a shelter for four months. Um, to be totally transparent, I, I think I would have been drawn to him had I not seen these photos of him before, but I can't say with 100% certainty. Um, however, it was the photos that at least got me in the room. Um, so I was there with my boyfriend Jason, who's here, and once we were actually with him, it was very obvious to us. I felt so passionate, like, this is my pet. I'm of the belief that pets can be your best friends, like I mentioned, and maybe your pet's soulmate. Some people have said that, which is so sweet. They're like, it's so clear that Bruno's your soulmate. And I'm like, I do feel that way. My pet's soulmate, honey, don't worry. Um, and. Uh, there's just something that pulls at you. I hope that eventually we'll become a multi-pet household, so I look forward to having that experience again because this was my first experience as an adult walking into the shelter and just feeling that pull towards Bruno. And Jason can attest that from the moment that we left, we didn't know that Bruno was ours, which is a very unique situation. Usually you can walk into a shelter and walk out with the pet you want that day. We had to wait about 48 hours, which felt like 48 years. I was depressed for the two days after we left. I, 
I mean, really, I was really, really, really down because I felt so strongly this was our pet. And I was just so excited when we got a call two days later that he was. I like that she touches base on the fact that sometimes you don't have that immediate spark and that's okay. Yep. <clears throat> They're all different personalities and so are we. And we have to learn how to get to know each other, especially with yes. a shelter animal where, and an older animal, you know, puppies, they're puppies, kittens are kittens. You get to learn with them. But adopting an animal that's already got a personality and has a history and may have had kind of a neglectful or scary history, it's okay to give them that time. It's okay to take that time for yourself to bond too. I like that you said that because a lot of people want it. It should, it should be instant and it, yes. it's not always instant and that's okay. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in Coconut here next to me, our Chihuahua that we rescued, um, she needed two surgeries to, on her back, two knees when we adopted her, and she had no personality for the first six months that we had her because she was in so much pain. Um, but I think one of the joys of rescue is knowing that you're, you're sort of in it for the long haul and that um, you're going to figure it out together. Anyway, um, to your point about seeing photos and having that be uh, such an important part of rescue today, I think social media has really changed the rescue landscape and for the better. And to anyone who ever says to me, social media is a terrible place, I say we've raised tens of thousands of dollars and adopted more dogs than I know about. So I think it's pretty good. Um, but Courtney, you have over 2 million followers on Tuna's platform, and I'm just thinking about Instagram. Um, you are able to use that platform to educate people about rescue all the time. What has been the coolest rescue-related experience you've ever had through Tuna's account? Well, first, can I say one thing about that? What's really unique about social media, and you touched on this, but it's such a cool platform to educate and encourage people to adopt. And right now, there's hundreds and thousands of different rescue groups out there that um, don't have the big names that are doing really incredible work for the animal community. And so to be able to use all of our platforms combined to promote different rescue groups and even individuals who are doing this, because I mean, a lot of people do not realize that you don't get government funding rescuing. Like it's a lot of times out of pocket or relying on donations. And so um, what's great is to be able to use our platforms to encourage people to adopt and rescue and to not just think of rescuing or adoption as trendy, because it's not. Like, this isn't something that is trendy. It's something that's important. It's something that's necessary. So um, one of the coolest things, I think, for us is that, like I said, I never knew much about the rescue world prior to getting tuna. and being in the Instagram world is that I've met so many incredible people and organizations that uh, work hard for the animal community. And one of my favorite things that we ever did was we went on this tour around the um, United States, uh, more on the East and South Coast, uh, but we partnered with different animal rescue shelters. And some of these stories, like, from shelter to shelter to shelter, uh, and animals that you've seen that have come out of like the most grave situations, and just seeing how joyful they are in their cages, like to get adopted and to see families come in and select that dog is just the most incredible. It's just like something in your heart just does 4,000 cartwheels. So, <laughs> this is to everyone on the panel. Do you, have you been surprised about the level of awareness around rescue as you continue to meet and reach new people through your platforms? 
I've been really surprised about the level of awareness that people are now having now versus when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, it was much different. So yes, I would say that. But I also think people are becoming more responsible about how they acquire an animal because just like there are good breeders, there are also really bad breeders. And just like there are great rescues, there are some really bad rescues. So. I love that people are now starting to educate them and themselves and do their research on how they're acquiring an animal either or way, but they're really digging in and they want to know more about the rescue. They want to see the environment. They want to, you know, get references from veterinarians. They want to make sure that they've done all the testing. Like, I love that because there's so many people out there that are just moving animals, but not really giving the quality of care that they need to the animals. So that's where I think it's become really important is people researching where they're getting an animal from. Can you, I'm gonna just interrupt because I think you made a really important point that I'd like to elaborate on. What makes a good rescue? In my opinion, what makes a good rescue is someone who really does cover A to Z on what that animal needs. They get wellness checks. They are proponents for spay and neutering. Um, if an animal needs surgery, they get that surgery done. And if an animal needs eye testing, they get the eye testing done. They get the meds and then they find an adopter that's going to be able to afford those medications. You know, they really do their thorough research and that rescue should be in and up and around and all over the place with you. They want to dig in and know where this animal is going to live because they care for that animal so much that they need to ensure its future is going to be safe and pleasant. So if you are going to adopt an animal and that rescue is going to take your piece of paper and your check and hand you an animal, go the other way. Find a rescue that's truly going to do the thorough work to make sure that you are a sound pet parent and can handle anything that that animal's gonna need. Thank you so much. Can I say something about um, just the platform overall to use it as a voice for the voiceless is that one thing that I think sometimes we overlook is that we can just see the American need, and this is global. Like, there is a global need for rescue. Last night I was on an Instagram account called um, Animal Hope and Wellness, and they're out of California, and right now they're doing incredible relief work for the, the animals that have been affected by the, shell, I'm sorry, by the fires in California, like the Wolseley and the um, Hill Fire. And I was just going through their page, and they did a video about a dog it was it was like parental advisory like you you want to use your discretion to watch it but this dog was literally wired shut on his mouth and his legs were all wired up and they um, rescued him in Cambodia he was um, purchased to be used for animal food like he was going to be the food and um they went into the slaughterhouse and rescued this dog and then they showed a follow-up video of him being adopted and what joy this animal brought to his human and i just sat there for a minute and realized like wow this is like a global issue there are dogs and cats and other animals all around the world being mistreated and um, we could really use our platforms to educate people more in other countries because a lot of people have social media all over the world I mean it's not just limited to us so the original question was have you been surprised at the level of awareness um, I just want to come back to that because one thing that continues to surprise me is how many people don't choose adoption so I kind of just wanted to pose that to the panel of, of it continues to surprise me. How do you move forward? How do you continue to educate? I personally come from a, it's not worth my time to judge people point of view, but um, yeah. As, oh, go ahead. Yeah. 
as, as someone who runs a rescue, I have had to really step out of the box and be like, it's okay. If you choose to not adopt and you are hell-bent on purchasing, again, do your research and make sure that you go see the facility. Do not get it on nextdaypets.com. Do not get it out of the pet store window because you just can't leave that puppy. Um, because when you take that puppy, I have plenty of examples I can show you of what that puppy's parents look like. So walk away. If, you're, if you need a Commodore, if you need a Pooley, if you need a Sussex Spaniel and you can't find a Saluki in rescue, those breeds are all very rare, by the way. If you can't find one in rescue, then do your research, go to the breeder's home, see how all of the animals that they breed live. If they don't have a senior at their home, walk away because a good breeder will not give up on every single dog they have. They may work with rescues like a lot of breeders work with me and when they have a dog that's retired, they do send them to me or when they have a dog that is um, medically needy or they get a dog into their care that is a senior, they will allow me to help them adopt them out. But if they don't have something in their care that they fell in love with and they kept it their whole entire life, walk away. Also, if they don't research you, run away. <laughs> And hey, wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah. But I want you to answer that. But I do have a question for you about that um, related to puppy mills. Just to piggyback off that a little bit. Um, I mean, my greatest belief in life is to each their own unless it's hurting somebody. So I feel like the most effective way that we can promote this platform is to come at it from a really non-judgmental, compassionate place. Like you said, if you choose to go that route, do your research. There are definitely reasons to go that route. And I'm never going to judge somebody for doing that um, and I think we also have experienced the negative sides of social media where we feel that judgment in other ways so I know how that feels in another way such as someone seeing a picture or a video of a 25 pound cat and then reaching out to me and saying that they're gonna contact PETA because I'm abusing the cat not knowing that I've only had the cat for two months and he's already lost two pounds that type of stuff we know how that feels so we're gonna come Absolutely. from a really compassionate holistic place in promoting what we so believe in because I think that's what is most effective. Well, kind of going off what you were just talking about, I have a question for you. Sorry, I'm the new moderator. Um, no, I just have a question. So you do a lot of work with puppy mills and you are trying to raise a lot of awareness around why that's just a terrible idea and how the dogs just are so mistreated in those environments. But one of the questions that people ask me a lot that I'm really curious how to answer because sometimes I don't know what to say is when a dog is already born and they are in the pet stores or, you know, they've, yeah, they've been bred by these backyard breeders or these puppy mill breeders. I mean, if we just walk away, yeah, what happens? Because I understand, I understand the logic is the less people buy from pet stores or from breeders, the less that the demand, you know, but what do you do if the, the puppy is there to be, you know, purchased, but nobody buys that dog does that dog then go into the rescue count like how does that work so um i work with uh, the humane society of the united states a lot we have a really close relationship with them and um i'm part of their stop puppy mills committee and there's no really good answer um the the, the real answer is that the idea is to starve the people who are making money off of these dogs of the money that they're making and a lot of these dogs that end up going to the pet stores, they're actually sold to a pet store through a dog broker. Yeah. So the puppy miller has a broker that comes, purchases these puppies, transports them to the, to the pet store, and then the pet store pays the broker. So the, there's a line of command that goes there. And yep. usually what happens is when no one purchases that puppy, 
then that broker has to come get that puppy. They lose money. The broker stops working with that breeder because apparently they can't make quick money. And then the puppy ends up going back to the breeder. Sometimes they are, you know, sent to the shelter. Sometimes they are honestly cold. But at the end of the day, if we continue to keep purchasing them, then they're going to continue to keep puppy mill breeding them. And when I say good breeder, I'm not talking about a puppy mill. When I say good breeder, I'm not talking about someone who goes to dog auction, which you will see on episode eight of our show, that there are dog auctions. So a lot of times when these puppies aren't sold and they end up going back to the breeder, those breeders then take them to auction and sell them again to a lesser responsible puppy miller. If that's so, a thing. So you never want to put, I think the idea here is you never want to give money directly to people who are profiting off of these dogs. And, and it's really hard. Like you're talking about walking away from puppies and it's But it's that not one easy, puppy it, turns into thousands of puppies because those moms will be bred every single heat for the rest of their lives until they're no longer useless. Yep. So that one dog that you think you're saving is really producing another litter because they believe there's a demand. Yeah, we um, did a protest once, and my favorite saying that came away with it was puppies for sale equals mothers in jail. Like, it's, it, it is what it is, and, and I think that we all just have to starve that population of, of money. And frankly, it's a, such a small percent of um, uh, the revenue that's in the pet industry. These people aren't, like, pet stores are not going to go out of business. We're not taking money from people who deserve money, who are good, honest people. Um, Breeders are regulated by the USDA, which if you think about it is super weird because that's who governs like commercial, like commercially raised animals. These are our pets that live with us. Like anyone that says they're USDA certified, that that's not a stamp of approval. As, no, as you're what saying. that is, is an umbrella to do a, basically get away with a lot of horrific things that if I did it or if she did it, we would be arrested for neglect, felony, animal abuse. But they get away with it because they have an umbrella. Yep. So we all need to stand up and say we have to be strong and we have to starve those people of money and we have to continue to put our money into rescue and into really, really good breeders where you've met their old, old dogs and their parents of the dog that you're about to buy and their parents. My parents right now have a dog that's the nephew of the dog that I grew up with and we know the whole family. It's like, I thought that that was all people did. And anyway, I think we're running out of time. Thank you everyone for joining us. And um, this, we're all really passionate about this topic and we're gonna be around all day. So if you have any other questions for any of us, please come and find us. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was the To The Rescue panel from PetCon NYC 2018. To learn more and sign up for our newsletter to find out when the next PetCon will take place, visit PetCon.co. That's P-E-T-C-O-N C-O. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit PetInsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon.